everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast where writers sit around drinking tasty beverages to talk about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. There will be rants and raves and opinions that may not agree, but are lovingly delivered. We will not censor ourselves, so do consider us PG-13. Your pro-face band today includes Chaz Brenchley, Karen Brenchley, and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 188, Interview with William Clem. Welcome, William. Hello, thank you for having me. Well, you reached out to us asking if we occasionally interview new authors, and the answer is absolutely we do. I think everybody anywhere on the journey of writing has something to say. So thank you for reaching out. Thank you. Your first novel, you said, this is, I'm hoping that I don't ruin the, you know, Italian, Maglio Cervantes? Yeah, uh, well, um, Maglio Cervantes, but Maglio Cervantes. the way you said it was certainly a little more elegant, and that's just totally acceptable. <laughs> okay. Well, it's out there on Amazon, and you had a little bit of a discussion in your intro note to me, but... I wanted you to kind of tell me a little bit about, tell us about the book. I know that it's about a man who becomes immortal. You don't say why, and I actually like that. And about his life as he traverses the centuries looking for meaning, and when does he stop drifting and start finding things? And I liked that about a journey of what if things just happen to somebody? If you happen to be not a vampire, not an immortal, not a wizard, Harry, but just immortal. Tell us a little bit about the book. Where did you get the idea from it? Yeah, the idea came in 2006. My wife and I were the proud parent of two kids. And in 2006, they were two and five. And so, like most parents of youngsters, there just wasn't enough time in the day. And I occasionally found myself thinking, gosh, what would it be like to have all the time in the world? And of course, the immediate salvo was, oh, I'd read more books, I'd get caught up, watch a movie, I'd take a nap. But eventually I started thinking, gosh, what would I do? And I started getting these ideas in my head. Gosh, imagine the travel and learning languages and all the hobbies you could learn to master. And for some reason, I got this impulse that I'm supposed to write it down, not like I was enumerating things to do, but these images, they came with, they came with, with a vision, like I was supposed to write this down. So at bedtime in 2006 with my son, I'd go up with him. And while he was conducting his bathroom duties, I would write in his room on a spiral notebook for 15 minutes at a time. When he came out, I would uh, jot down some notes where I could pick up the next day. And that continued uh, just for a few months. And that's where the idea came where all the time in the world. And that's what eventually became Maglio Cervantes. Okay. Um, had you had you thought about writing before that, or was this just sort of completely out of the blue? Yeah, I'm. I'm glad you asked because I don't come from a writing background. This this was kind of out of the blue. I'm, before that, I would maintain like a travel journal. If we went on vacation, I'd jot down maybe a couple of paragraphs per day, and of course, my wife and I maintained journals on the kids so we could uh, note some uh, milestones or jot down some anecdotes by which we can embarrass him by in, in the coming years. Huh, excellent. But, but going back to college, no, I was I was a math economics major. It, and so the idea in 2006 that I might one day write a novel, <laughs> it would have, it, it was a silly idea. But but for some reason... I love please. that you point out the first point is writing a little bit every day. So that's when people like say, how do you become a writer? You seem to have stumbled upon it 
just by writing a little bit every single day. Yeah, that's for sure. It, it started a little bit of time. And even then, I wasn't really into it, but I just had this impulse, like it, it needed to be written down. And so I did that for about a year. And I, I eventually had to stop just because I um, there are too many unresolved um, storylines in the, the crunch of real life. I was working full-time and, and parenting duties, so I stopped. But I never dropped the idea of Maglio Cervantes and his you know, his becoming immortal and his misadventures and adventures through the centuries. And I wanted to look at immortality in a deeper sense than simply the infinite timeline. And so I, I saved it and I eventually came back to it. I didn't know when it was going to happen, but it finally did. Well, one of the things that I liked about Maglio is he starts off being an everyman. He's just some guy. He's a fisherman. And it seems so often with many of the many stories that we get in fantasy or science fiction, it is always some great figure that stalks through the world. You really do have a very everyman approach to him. He's just this guy. And he does a little bit of, I felt like he was a leaf in the river for the first few chapters of his family died. He had a lot of emotions to process and a lot of survivor guilt to process. And you explored that and that seemed appropriate. Yeah, that was on purpose. I, I I didn't want to just talk about the immortality because it seemed while immortality certainly has its advantages, gosh, the, there are a number of significant hurdles Maglio ought to have, have to roll through those. I mean, if you're immortal, gosh, I mean, horror of horrors. I mean, you're going to have to work forever. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and also there's the aspect of trying to carry forward all your assets through the generations and the centuries without raising curiosity. So I wanted Maglio to, to address all that. I mean, you, you couldn't simply open an investment account with Fidelity and 175 years later, you're still the original account holder. So I wanted um, the main characters to have to work through these and, and how do you address it? Well, I liked that perspective, especially when you started off at the beginning. This is 14th century. There were a ton of people that were not amassing wealth. You basically got enough money. They were subsistence level humans. He did not come from middle class. He basically came from a working class group. So I, he had to learn about money. And I presume that's a little bit of your financial background of you know, in order to make more money than you need, you need to do this. And this is how you move this. And this is how you save it. So knowing that you're a banker gives me a new perspective on a couple of those chapters. Right. Yeah. I, I'm um, uh, actually, um, I'm a commercial insurance underwriter. So I'm on the insurance side, but you're right. The insurance industry, it, it's all part of the financial um, sector. It is. But, but, but yeah. Um, so there was back in my youth when I, got my first job and I had to figure out trying to invest and, and Maglio was kind of in the same shoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although it takes him a few centuries before he actually gets the money that he can actually invest. <laughs> well, I like that he wasn't, you know, just like the instant quint study. He, he gets the crap beat out of him a few times. And, you know, I kind of appreciate that about a guy who says, all right, I have made mistakes. I'm going to try to learn from my mistakes and move forward. Now, Tell me a little bit about the research in the process, because as a as a history miner, I adore talking about Roman mining techniques. And you drop a lot of fun. Did you have? Did you do some of the research, or 
where did you where did you research? How did you approach some of these different areas in his in his career? Let's just say. Yeah, that was me doing some research, and um, I don't know how you feel about Wikipedia, but that's often where I started, <laughs> and then I would go deeper from there. So I, I might get some um, maybe some abbreviated information, maybe some uh, some timelines or some talking points, but, but I would often go deeper in that. It, and the research was important to me, so I, I needed to get into 14th century, um, the plague in Europe. Of, of course, there's uh, the mining in, in Spain. I, I needed to get some paella recipes. And, and, but the research was important because I, I wanted to be respectful of the reader in that if they would go along with me on the point of immortality, I, I didn't want the reader to have to suspend disbelief every time they turn the page. I wanted the rest of the novel to be viable. And so I did the research so I wouldn't, I mean, you're reading fiction, but I didn't want to make up stuff that could actually be confirmed and verified. Absolutely. Um, hang on. You mentioned paella. Um, did they actually have rice in 14th century Spain? Not yet. So the point I was going with in Magda Cervantes was that uh, paella originated in Maglio's mama's kitchen. Because oh, paella, oh. I think that followed, it, it was later in the 14th century, I think, but it was it was in that area of, of what would become Spain. That's my understanding, that, that it was in that area. So it, it came from Mama Maglio. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love that. Well, Marco Polo brought them pasta in like 1292, some odd, so somewhere <laughs> in there. Yeah, I have, I, have, I have another research question. Um, Please. Oxford. How did you research Oxford? Yeah, that was a tough one. Um, I, I started with, with Wikipedia to get some timelines. And then from there, I had to do a, a, a number of other uh, web searches. And, and I forget where I actually ended up, but there were a couple different uh, sites I was on. And now that I think about it, I, I probably could have gone to the Oxford University site to get some historical oh. insight. <laughs> But but um, it was just reading online to try to get a better understanding of what was the university like back then, who was attending. Mm. So that was that was a tough one, but I eventually got enough where I felt comfortable going forward with it. Yeah, um, I'm, 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 yeah all I'm saying here is that you should have met me earlier. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm Oxford born and bred. Oh, oh my gosh! You're an Oxford blue. Yeah, I can, I, 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 yeah, I could have done that for you. <laughs> you never know who you're going to meet on this show. I just have to tell you. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Gosh, if if I'd known, yeah. That when you were organizing your research, when did you move over to start typing in computers? Did you use Scrivener? Did you use any particular tools for it? Are you a uh, Tell us how you organize your research notes to string it together. My first draft of my creative writing, it's pen to paper, and then I transcribe. And then because I don't come from a writing background, so it was maybe a little unorthodox, but I ended up with a bunch of my drafts, and I started putting them in, in sequence. And, um, of course, I had to start moving them around from one part to another of the narrative as I got further along. I've heard of some some writers, some authors, and they've got their outline going on. And I truly admire that. Um, yeah. I, I think like 
Amor Talis uh, of the gentleman in Moscow. He talks about having like a 40 page outline. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, I was a little naive going into this. I didn't have a, an outline until near the end where I needed to finish off. Okay. This is what I need to get to. So that was kind of rough and I would do it differently uh, for my next one. Would you? That's, that's interesting. Cause I, I, I mean, I'm a pantser. If I have a title and a first line, I'm good. And I will just start and keep going. Um, <laughs> and I'm um, down. There was, I had, I had, I had a. I thought we'd agreed we were going to call it organic gardener because pantser has certain. Oh, right. <laughs> organic gardener will do nicely. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. I do mostly organic gardening and I'm working on something now. I'm trying to, to put an outline together, but the way my brain works with my creative writing, the, the writing wants to come out first. Yes. And then I try to organize it. I I just haven't got a complete vision yet. This is this is what I'm saying. I, no, don't, 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 don't go against your instincts, Willie. Okay. Um, if, I, I won't you, resist. if you want to write the thing first and then thought it, do do that. I I I I had a friend in Oxford. She was she was a short story writer and a poet. And she was very, very anxious about the notion of writing a novel. Um and she, we all knew she was writing a novel, but she just called it a long story um, until she'd finished it. And then I found her sitting on the steps of the library in tears, literally. Um, and I said, Rudy, what's, what, what's going on? And she said, I think I have finished my book, but it is in 67 p- separate pieces, and I have no idea how to put them together. <laughs> So we went back to our office and we did that. We we spent an afternoon sorting sections into an order that made something of narrative sense and something of political sense and 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 all of that. And it was I mean it was brilliant and she sold it for lots of money, which was lovely. But yeah, no, I mean I, I that's what I wanted to say earlier. Um you said your process might be a little unorthodox. Honey, there is no orthodoxy in writing. Absolutely everybody does it absolutely differently. Maybe you're right. What is it? There's nine and fifty ways to uh, nine and sixty. Nine and sixty ways. Thank <laughs> you. To no, in my world, there's nine and seventy ways to oh, perform a play, and every single one of them is right. <laughs> well, oh, Chaz, when you talk about having sixty-six different parts and trying to put them all together, that sounds like the early days of Maglio Cervantes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought you might recognize that. Did you ever have to sit down? Did you? I mean, was this a family affair? Did your wife help? Did you have? I know there's a lot of people out there offering editing services. Did you take advantage of any of these? Um, my wife uh, read through and pro- provided some uh, strong input. And I have a, a friend of mine who's fairly creative. He read through the first draft and he provided some uh, some key input as well. So it's just those uh, those two parties that provided input. If I may ask a question, I really love the cover on the book. It has that old time photograph look is it by chance a family member or where did you find it it is yes that's that's my grandpa tedesco when i was looking for a cover image i wanted to get something that would grab someone's attention and not easily relinquish it and i remember as a kid seeing these great photos of gramps and so i went digging through the old photo albums and i found the photos and this is the one that i kept coming back to it's from 1934 when Grandma Grandpa Tedesco were in Chicago for the World's Fair. Oh, cool. Did, did, did you know him? Grandpa Tedesco. That's. Oh, yes. Uh, um, Grandpa passed away in 2000, so 
um because he looks he looks amazing oh yeah yeah um so we used to go to my grandparents house uh every sunday so, so we used to go by for sunday dinner so yeah i, I knew my grandma grandpa well and so they're a strong part of 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 the family hmm. and um yeah so when I look at the cover, I mean, it, it's neat to see my grandpa, and it's it's my mom's dad, and so she's pretty happy with Maglio Cervantes too. Well, <laughs> That's sneaky. <laughs> now, did you ever consider? I mean, as this is self-published, put out there, did you consider flighting it out to agents, doing query letters? What prompted your decision to go self-publishing as opposed to trying to get it purchased somewhere? Yeah. When I was getting serious about writing it in 2021, and I saw the end of the tunnel, I I could see the end. And I, I was thinking, gosh, you know, I, I was really happy with it. And I wanted to make it available. And the idea of commercial publication, it, it seemed uh, tedious and with a, uh, a, a questionable outcome. <laughs> um, and, and, um, I, I, just, I just have to say, um, having been in commercial publishing for 45 years, it is tedious and the outcomes are deeply, deeply questionable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I got to the point where, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time putting this together. I'm really happy with this. I, I want to make it available. And, and so instead of finishing it and then making my next hobby, seeking commercial publication, I decided to self-publish and make my next hobby self-marketing. Yeah, that's really smart. So how, 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 do, you, how do you go about the marketing? Uh, well, you guys are my first podcast, so thank you for having me on. Hooray! We're special. And, yeah, well, you're making me feel special, so, so, so thank you. Uh, yeah, so, so my marketing plan is to try to get on some podcasts, and then I have some additional writing uh, coming up in the future years. And so I'm hoping to try to build up a social media to, to some extent. And I still need to come up with, um, make some contact with some book reviewers. So I'm still at the early ages. I'm still balancing um, work and family responsibilities. So in my spare time, I'm trying to do some marketing. <laughs> and it, it starts off with, uh, with, with podcasting. Are you also doing more writing? Are we... Is this a one shot or you feel that now the dam has broken? The seal <laughs> I, I, is, 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 is crapsed. Yeah, th there will be more. I'm working on next year. There's going to be a, a collection of short stories, which I'm going, going to, to publish. Wow. And I'm also working on a longer piece, which I'm hoping will develop into my next novel. Is when, do you, when do you know precisely when a short story is really a novel? Is it just, oh, there's too much. I can't sum up anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, with Magnus Cervantes, it, it just kept coming. I, I didn't know what I was writing, but I knew it wasn't done yet. <laughs> right. It took me a little bit of time. I have to say, um, I did not innately relate to him, except for that I understood at the beginning his emotional state. I think that was very, very honest. But I came to kind of like him there at the end as he sort of rejoined the human race in a certain way. I mean, for all the years that he had to keep himself apart to not be torn limb from limb by a mob of angry peasants hmm. with pitchforks and all that. But it seemed that by the end, he'd actually realized the, the importance of humanity and fellowship again. And I really appreciated that about how you left it. Yeah, that, that's totally true. In my early drafts, that had not yet been incorporated into the storyline. 
But the more I wrote, gosh, it, it just seemed like an awful existence. Like you're free to move around, but it just seemed like solitary confinement. If, if you haven't got any lifelong friends, maybe if you're immortal, maybe you haven't got friends more than 10, 20 years, because at some point there'll be some uncomfortable questioning coming along. But Maglio had some decisions to make, and he decided, well, if it doesn't work out, I can flee again, but I'm, but I'm going for it. Okay. Um, he wanted back in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, I, you, you mentioned, well, I think Jeannie mentioned peasants tearing him apart limb from limb, um, which right. is always one of the questions about immortals. I mean, if someone had cut his head off, would he <laughs> come back again? Do, 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 do you know? Do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think about that, and I think uh, a, a discombobulation might have ended him. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I thought about, uh, gosh, what uh, if he was going to end himself, how would he go about doing it? Mm. But I, you're right. I, I didn't want to go, go too deep on that. I'd, I'd had my fill of that, and I, I wanted to move on. <laughs> well, he, he does in the beginning. I mean, he, he, there's a certain number of times that he tries, you know, all the standard ways, you know, drowning, mm-hmm. burning this or that. He's, he's not Deadpool. And I respect that he's not Deadpool. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I also like to a certain extent, Nobody loves pain and things hurt. And I respected that he came around to the, you know, pain is icky. And I respect that for him. Totally, (laughs) totally agree. So, I mean, maybe he would survive jumping out of a large, tall building, but it wouldn't be happy. You know, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Luckily, when he was uh, going through that phase, there weren't any uh, skyscrapers at that time. Yeah, it's true. And it's not like he climbed his way up and, oh, I wonder if there's another one of Malio that's a short story that somebody made it halfway up Everest. <laughs> oh, and now even better with global warming. Now they're coming out. They've been frozen there for 600 years and they just oh. got out to move. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. The, the immortal who fell into the glacier and, and, and it takes a few thousand years to bring him to the edge and he's still alive. That's Maybe bad. we need to have a collection of stories about global warming stories. <laughs> I think I've been some some ideas for for what's next. I, I I love it. Tell us about your short stories, William. Um, I mean, you, you said you're publishing a volume next year. Have you written them already? Have any of them been published elsewhere? Uh, they've been written. I'm working on the final edits of them. Mm-hmm. They've been published on my blog. Okay. And and my, my blog, it uh, you know my most avid readers, my wife, my mother-in-law, and my mom. Perfect. Oh, perfect. So, uh, so, so yes, they've been read. So the short stories that are coming out next year, one of them is I've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately, and I've been thinking, gosh, wouldn't it be cool if we can go back and listen to some historical figures on a podcast, whether it's Ben Franklin, Joan of Arc, Christ? And so I thought, well, heck, how about I, I, I drew, uh, I wrote a transcript of Abe Lincoln on a podcast, <laughs> and. It very fortuitously happened those four or five days between the official close of the Civil War and his night at the at the theater. So that's one that I that I'll have in there that I was really happy with. Okay, um, I mean, again, we're talking basically time travel here. You do you, do you think you're obsessed with with time <laughs> and the passage of time and and uh, I don't think I'm obsessed with the passage of time. But I do get these story ideas in my head, and I, and I do have this compulsion that I need to write them down. 
So maybe the source of these stories is obsessed with the passage of time, but myself consciously, I, I, I'm not, but maybe subconsciously so. Okay, I have to ask you this. Do, I mean, do you think of your creative soul, your muse, whatever, as something separate from yourself? Not entirely. No, I, I, I mean, I, I, I get the ideas, and 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 I work in conjunction with them. I, I like getting the ideas, mm-hmm. and, and I want to pay my respects by by writing them down. I, I don't want to just ignore them. Yeah, that would just seem like a waste. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. Um, a very well-known, well-published, long-established writer friend of mine told me thirty years ago, probably longer now, um, that he kind of saw story as a thing that wandered around the atmosphere until it found the right brain <laughs> to zoom in on and tell itself through. Well, we might have Calliope and Cleo fighting over him right now. That's <laughs> yeah. That, that that's a fun idea. Um, the images I get, it might be like a, a cartoon thumbnail, and it's got the image, and and there's a narrative that goes with it, and it's my job to to transcribe and okay. and write it out. So um, there's a visual as well as a narrative component. Yes. Yeah. In in fact, I started blogging in 2009 because I just felt like I've got all these ideas that I need. I need to write them down. I, I need to clear my head. And before then, I, I had never made writing a priority. I would write if I had time. But if you're going, only going to do something when you find time for it, you're not going to do much with it. So in 2009, I, I made it a priority and it became a habit. And it, it turns out that, that writing is something that I like doing. It's, it's a great way to clear your head and, and to think things through. And Ray Bradbury said it best. He said, you should write a short story every week because it is not possible to write 52 bad short stories in a row. <laughs> One of them's got to be good. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm going to have to get a links from you for where people can read your blogs because we're going to need to put it along with the other fascinating things we've discussed for where to buy your book on our website, which is www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. Thank you so much for reaching out and joining us today, William. Jeannie Chess, thank you so much for having me. And Maglia Cervantes, self-published novel. We will have a link on it and hope that you all enjoy it. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web magic is cast by Deirdre Schween, and our sound engineer and backup web spiders are David Welsh and John Schmidt. Our intro and exit music are performed by Michael Langberg. You can hear lots of Michael Langberg on manyhatsmusic.com. Our podcast sponsors are Jackal Designs, The Bean Scene, Arm Street, and homage to wherever your writing watering hole may be in the world. And hey, thanks for listening. <laughs>